Well, today we are uh, wrapping up our series called Miracles, and I want to jump right into it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. Again, that's John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures we're going to look at today are there in your program on the, uh, the uh, insert that you received. Also, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. And if you have a smartphone, you can pull that out. And you can either download the Version app, and you can follow along with the scriptures there, or go to our website, exponential.church, and there is the digital program, and you can follow along, take notes right there on your smart device. And at the end, there'll be an option for you then to email yourself all the notes that you took as a result of today's message. As you're continuing to turn there, let me just go ahead and share with you that this story that we're going to look at today is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be blind from birth. that you've never seen the the stars in the sky, you've never seen the changing of the the flowers, you've never seen the the beauty of animals, you've never seen the face of your loved one. Can you imagine that? Only darkness. That's all you've ever experienced, just utter darkness for your entire life. As we get to John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, then it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? The disciples want to know who's to blame here. Did his parents do something and that's why he was born blind? You know, the the Bible does talk about generational curses. That the sins of the the parents will be passed down to their children and that there'll be consequences for that. They, They want to know, is that why this happened? Or... While he was still an infant in the womb, while he was still a fetus, did he do something? Did he sin in some way? And that caused him to be born blind. Actually, rabbis in that day and time, they actually debated this. Is it possible for an infant in the womb to actually sin against God? In any case, the disciples, they want to know why. They have this sort of worldview that if something is bad, if there's any type of suffering in this world, then it has to do with somebody doing something. There's a consequence for this. And so they want to know whose consequence. Was was it the parents that made this man be born blind or did he do something? And I think we end up doing the same thing in our own lives oftentimes. That anytime we see suffering, we want to know why, right? Isn't that the question we always ask? Why is there there suffering? And, And we want to we, we want our minds to be able to, to wrap our mind around it. And so we were like, you know, if there's just like some sort of formula that I can follow. Some sort of an equation that I can put it in that because this happened, then as a result, this happened over here. We want it to be neat and tidy like that. But Jesus is about to wreck their formulas for them. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But he was born blind so that the power of God may be revealed through what happens to him. Jesus is showing the disciples that, look, you're wrong here. This isn't about what happened to him. This is about what's happening for him. I put it there on your outline this way. We we need to understand this, that when I ask the question of why, it can have two meanings. The first is asking, what is the cause? The second is asking, what is the purpose? One looks to the past, the other looks to the future. 
Let me read that to you again because you need to get this. When I ask the question of why, you know, why did this happen? When you ask that question, it can have two meanings. The first is asking, what is the cause? The second is asking, what is the purpose? One looks to the past, the other looks to the future. When you ask about the, the cause, you, you're looking there to the past of why did this happen to me? And there's nothing wrong with asking that question. As many of you know, the, one of the, since I'm getting older and I'm starting to suffer for more and more things, uh, one of the things I've developed gout in my knees, and it's all caused by food allergies. In fact, I'm actually having a little bit of a mild attack here today. And so one of the things that you ask is, well, why? Why is my knee feeling sore today? And so I got to look to the past to say, what did I eat that is causing my knee to have pain? You know what I think it was this time? Fudge rounds. Mmm. <laughs> it's the only thing out of the ordinary I've had the last couple of days is fudge rounds. I love fudge rounds. I had to give up Cheez-Its a couple years ago. Oh, my goodness. That was like major, major thing for me to have to give them up. Now if I got to give up fudge rounds, I am not going to be happy. So again, you sometimes ask that question of why. You look to the past of what is the cause of this. Again, nothing wrong with asking that. But what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see here is sometimes that's not a good question to ask. Sometimes you don't ask the question of why. Sometimes you're, asking, you're looking to the future of what is the purpose of this. What is going to happen in the, the future because of this? Now, the reason I bring all this up is this is the last week again of this four-week series we've been doing called Miracles. And each and every week we've given you an opportunity to fill out a My Miracle card that's there on your seat. And then what you've been doing is you've been placing them back on the, the miracle wall there. And I've read over each and every one of those cards. I've prayed over each and every one of those cards. And here's my concern. Some of you have gotten stuck in that first why question of the, the cause, of why is this happening to me? What happened in the past that has got me to this place where I need a miracle? And what I want you to see today is maybe it's time that we start shifting and going, you know what, instead of blaming people in the past, instead of blaming myself for what happened in the past, maybe it's time that I start asking, okay, God, what is the, the cause of this, or not what is the cause of this, but what is the purpose of this? Why is it that you've allowed this to happen in my life? See, in this particular story, Jesus says that this man was born blind because there was a purpose for it, that God's glory might be revealed through it. And that's where I want you to get. I want you to get to the place where you say, you know what, who cares about why I need a miracle Let's look at how is God going to be glorified through this miracle? How is God going to take what Satan has meant for evil and now turn it around and use it for good? That's a completely different mindset, isn't it? And sometimes you've got to get to that place before God will open up your eyes that you can see the, how the miracle is going to take place for you. If you're just stuck in the past and, and you're just concerned with how you got to this place, sometimes we'll blind you to the truth and the opportunities that God has, the, the door that he has open for you to walk in to your miracle. Now Jesus goes on in this uh, particular passage and he, he preaches a little bit to them. 
And then he ends up healing this man in a very unusual way. Look, skip down to verses 6 and 7. It says, after Jesus had said this, in other words, that little mini-sermon that he did, he spit on the ground. He made some mud and he smeared it on the man's eyes. And he told him, go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. This is sort of weird, isn't it? Weird way to do a miracle. I mean, we've been looking at miracles the last couple of weeks, and, and we said that, you know, it's, it's not that there's like Jesus saying some magic words or, you know, flashes of lightning or, or whatever, but this one's just weird. He's on the ground, he makes a little bit of mud, and he puts it on the, the man's eyes. What, what's going on there? Well, theologians believe that this is actually a callback to the creation account. Remember when uh, God creates man in Genesis chapter 2, how did he form man? Out of the what? Out of the dust of the ground. He was taking the dust and he was making something brand new. And so again, theologians say that they, they think that this is what Jesus is doing here. Because the man didn't need to have his eyesight restored. He never had eyesight to begin with. He needed something brand new new and again as I've read over each and every one of those cards as you've hung back there on that wall that's what something or that's what some of you are asking for not something to be restored in your life you're asking for something brand new to happen in your life it's never happened before and you need a miracle for it to happen And so Jesus, he, he spits on the ground, he makes this mud, he puts it on the man's eyes. But notice that the miracle didn't take place in that moment, did it? When did the miracle take place? Only once the man did what? He went and he washed it off of his eyes. And this is a lesson for us. I put it on your outline this way. Sometimes Jesus has something for me to obey in order for my miracle to take place. Again, the, the miracle didn't take place just because Jesus touched him. The miracle didn't take place because Jesus put the, the mud on his eyes. The miracle took place once he washed it off. There was something this man had to do in order for the miracle to take place. What's that have to do with us? Well, many of you whine and complain and you go, I'm so lonely. Why doesn't God send me somebody? You want a miracle that God's just going to drop, you know, Mr. Right or, you know, Miss Perfect right there in your lap. Well, guess what? Maybe it's time to get off your butt, stop watching The Bachelor, and actually get out of the house. <laughs> right? Start meeting some people, start having some conversations, start serving in the community, start initiating some friendships. Maybe there's a part that you have to play in this. Or, you know, again, as I've read over the cards, a lot of you are talking about your job. And you're praying that, that you know, God, give me something new. I don't like where I'm at. Give me something brand new. Again, I would ask you, are you doing the part that God has called you to do? And you can't just sit around and, and do nothing and expect that God's just going to deliver this miracle for you. Have you done the parts that he has asked you to do or not? 
Now, let me be clear. Again, we're, we're talking about miracles here. This isn't about you manufacturing something for yourself. But this is doing whatever it is that God has asked you to do. For this man, the miracle would not have taken place had he not gone to the pool of Siloam and washed it off, just as Jesus had said. So what is it that Jesus is calling you to do? What is the next step he is asking you to take in order for your miracle to take place? Now as we get back to the story, let me just again summarize the next couple of verses for you. The man actually, he, he goes and he, he washes off the, the mud and all of a sudden he can do what? He can, he can see. It's a miracle. Can you imagine the excitement in that moment? You have been born blind. You've never been able to see. You're utterly dependent on other people for everything in your life. Now all of a sudden you can see. He's jumping around. He's excited. He's got freedom. He's got independence. He's not going to have to beg for his existence anymore. And so he's just he's running around town. He's all excited. People are like, is that Frank? Frank, but that can't be Frank. Frank's fine. Frank's got his, you know, his, his cane, his, his, his stick to, to help him. That, that can't be Frank. But wow, it really looks like Frank. Let's go up to that guy. Hey, you look like Frank. Yeah, I am Frank. <laughs> it's me. They're like, it can't be you. You're blind. He's like, I was blind, but I'm not anymore. Some guy, his name is Jesus. He, he like spit on the ground. He like rubbed it all in, in my eyes and stuff. And then he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and, and I'm able to see. You're like, Frank, this is a miracle. God has done something amazing here. Let, let's take you to the religious leaders just to, to verify all this. Some of you have been here for the series so far. <laughs> they take Frank. Again, and by the way, I'm making up Frank, if, in case you didn't. <laughs> they take Frank to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, to be interviewed by them to verify, is this miracle real or not? One of the first questions they ask is, so, uh, Frank says, just this past Saturday. Now, how many of you know the problem? Yeah. Go ahead, say it. You just said it. What, what, what the, yeah, the Jews celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. And we've been talking about throughout this whole series, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the quote-unquote religious leaders, not only were they obeying God's command to, to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy and that you're to do no work, but they had added additional rules on top, rules that God had no intention of anybody ever following, but they had added all these extra things on, 39 different things that they added on. And remember one of the ones we talked about back in week one is you couldn't do what on the Sabbath? You couldn't? You couldn't, yeah, work, but what specifically to this story, do you remember what I shared with you? Somebody just said it. Allison just said it. You weren't allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Why? Because they were afraid that if you spit on the ground, that you would work it in. Now, they, they always thought it'd just be like with your sandal or something, but that you would work it in and that you were actually cultivating the soil. That you were farming, basically, by spitting. 
And so they, they say to this man, Frank, so how did this Jesus do it? And when did he do it? And he's like, well, it was on Saturday. He spit on the ground. They're like, <gasps> he did what? He did it when? And they're absolutely convinced that this could not be of God. John chapter 9, verse 16, it says, Some of the Pharisees said, Obviously, this man Jesus is not from God. Because he is doing what? He is working on the Sabbath. I mean, to them, if you spit on the Sabbath, it was like a referee came out and blew his whistle and went, Personal foul on Jesus. <laughs> Unsabbath like conduct. That's going to be 15 lashes and an automatic loss of credibility. To them, they had gotten so caught up in the rules that they had forgotten the heart of why God had given commands. Instead of being joyful for this man that he, he was blind, but now he can see, they're instead upset because Jesus is, quote-unquote, working on the Sabbath. When Jesus started acting outside of their little box that they had placed God into, it messed up their religion. And we've got to be careful not to do the same thing. See, anytime we start basing our faith on man-made traditions and our own personal preferences over what God has already clearly commanded to us, then we're going to get in big trouble. I actually had a conversation with somebody from here at Exponential this past week on, on Facebook, and this person shared with me that the, their family doesn't like our church and churches like our church because of our style of music, because to them, only hymns are appropriate in church. Now, I love hymns. Nothing wrong with hymns. There's nothing wrong with what we did either. And I say this all the time, it's one of our core values here at Exponential is that, you know what, we're not doing church the right way or the wrong way. We're just doing church the way God has called us to do it. And as long as we're worshiping him, it doesn't matter if it's an organ or it doesn't matter if it's guitars. But some people have it in their mind because of their personal preferences and because of their tradition that that's the only right way to do it. Some people say, well, only the King James Bible. That, that's, the only, that's the only correct version of, of Scripture. Well, first of all, you know, Greek and Hebrew were how it was originally written. So everything is just a translation. And they're like, yeah, but it was the first English translation. No, it wasn't. It was the eighth English translation. And King James came up with it or authorized it because he couldn't understand the previous seven versions of English that they had come up with. So he said, hey, I need the Bible in a way that I understand. And they started writing these and thous and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? We don't talk that way today. That's why we don't understand the King James. Now, if you want to read the King James, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You're a lot more educated than I am. I mean, this is hard enough to, to understand as it is, much less, you know, throwing in weird words that we don't use anymore. I, I love there's this one point in the, the book of Acts that uh, Luke is writing, and he says, we went to fetch a compass. 
That's in the King James. We went to fetch a compass. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? <laughs> By the way, it wasn't that they had a compass either. It, they were going on a journey, basically, is what it means. But we, we don't understand all that, right? Or I remember my previous church I was at, we were having literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming into a relationship with Jesus. And I had a man approach me and he said, everything in your service is not of God. He said, all those salvations that you claim that are happening aren't real because people are not coming forward to an altar. He says, you don't have an altar in your service. And the only way that people can actually get saved is they have to come forward and kneel down at an altar in order to get saved. And I said, point that out in the Bible for me. <laughs> now again, is there wrong with, with altar calls? Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. But again, this was this man's personal preference and his tradition that he had sort of grown up with. And so we've, we've got to be careful anytime we start adding extra rules on top of God's commands, then we become like the Pharisees. And it just, it messes up our faith. Now throughout this series, we've been talking that, you know, anytime John writes about these miracles, what is the word that he always uses to go along with it? It's a sign, right? And it's the same way here, that this is a, not just the story of Jesus healing a blind man, but it's a sign that, that does what? What do signs do? They, they, they point to something else, right? And that's exactly what's happening in this particular story. Now, let me go ahead and again just uh, sort of summarize the next couple of verses as we look at how, how is this a sign. Uh, basically, the, the Pharisees, again, they're, they're upset that Jesus has healed Frank on the Sabbath. And they're like, look, we, we've got to do anything we can to discredit Jesus. But Frank just keeps saying, look, I was blind. I can see now. You know, it's just, it's a miracle. And so they figure, you know, what? if we can't discredit Jesus, maybe we can discredit Frank. And so they take him to Frank's parents. And they're like, he wasn't actually born blind, was he? You've just been making this up the whole time. And as John's writing about this, he says that they basically say, no, he was born blind, but he is now of legal age, so he's going to have to speak for himself. Now, why were the, the parents sort of being a little shady here? Why were they sort of dancing around it? Well, John writes that they were afraid that they would actually get kicked out of the temple, that they would no longer be allowed to participate in the, in the, the, the Jewish faith and the, the things of the faith. And so they're like, he, he'll have to speak for himself. And so they bring Frank back in, and they're like, look, we don't know what's happening here, but go ahead and admit, there's no way that this Jesus guy can be God because he is a sinner. He is sinning against God. He's working on the Sabbath. Go ahead and admit that. In verse 25, we read this. The man replied, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is that I used to be blind, but now I can see. After this particular conversation, the Pharisees decide to kick Frank out. They say, you are no longer welcome in any of our meetings. Skip down then to verse 35 and 36. 
when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he said, do you believe in the Messiah? And the man answered, who is he, sir? For I want to know. You know, this is amazing because what it illustrates here is that it's possible for you to be a recipient of a miracle, but yet still be spiritually blind. He had gotten his physical eyesight back, but he was still spiritually blind. And Jesus says this then in verses 37 and 38. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is the one speaking to you. Yes, Lord, the man said, I believe. And then he worshiped Jesus. Now, he was truly healed. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that there's a difference between being cured and being healed. You may or may not get your miracle, your cure here on this earth, but what we ultimately need is to be healed by Jesus. That the, the eyes, uh, our, our spiritual eyes would be opened, that our spiritual hearts would be restored. That ultimately we would have eternal life with him. That's what we really need. Verses 39 to 41. Then Jesus told him, I have come in the world to give sight to those who are spiritually blind and to show those who think that they see that they are blind. The Pharisees were standing there asked, Are you saying we are blind? If you're blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied but your guilt remains because you claim to know what you're doing. I find it ironic that Jesus is speaking these words to the quote-unquote professional religious people. That you think you know what you're doing, but yet you're still blind. You claim to have no guilt, but yet you still have guilt. And what this tells me is that it's possible to be deeply religious, but yet spiritually blind. And sometimes it's not even just religion that causes you to be blind. Sometimes it's your own intellect. You are too smart for yourself. You think you've got this world all figured out that you know everything. And you're spiritually blind. For some of you, it's confidence in your own intellect, or your own success, or your own morals. I'm such a good person, you say. There's no way that I couldn't be right with God because of all the good that I've done. And guess what? If you're trusting in your goodness to make you right with God, you are spiritually blind because there's no way you could ever possibly be good enough. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have a, a, a multitude of sins that we're going to have to answer before God for. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before, but if you think about it, if you are really good and you only sin three times a day, that, that would actually be a really good day. Three, three sins a day. That, that would be really good. Because remember, sin is anything that, that you do that God wouldn't want you to do. Those are called uh, sins of commission. Those are sins that you commit. But did you know that there's also what's called sins of omission? Those are things that you should be doing, but yet you sometimes fail to do. 
Pray, read your Bible, come to church, truly love your neighbor. Things you should be doing that you don't always do. And then there's, you know, sort of those inner sins, lust and greed, pride, envy, jealousy, rage. I mean, all these different things that are in us. If you only sin three times a day, that'd be a really good person. You'd almost be an angel. But now let's add that up. Three sins a day is 21 in a week. That's a little over 1,000 a year. The average person's living to be 78 now. You're really going to stand before God and say, look how good I've been with only 78,000 sins. You should let me go. You should just look the other way. Again, 78,000, that's a good person. I've had 78,000 sins some years in my life. None of us are good enough. So oftentimes we find ourselves spiritually blind because of our own pride, our own intellect, our own good morals. Jesus came to reveal those blind spots to you. To heal you of your spiritual blindness once and for all. Now what's the problem with a blind spot? You can't see it, right? It's a blind spot because you're blind to it. Now sometimes we have these things that were blind spots, but now we've actually had them revealed to us, but yet we conveniently ignore them, don't we? My guess is that every single person that's here today, you have some area of your life that you know is displeasing to God. You know it. But yet you're still living in disobedience. Jesus came to heal you of that. Not just forgive you, but to give you new life. But then there are legitimately just blind spots that we don't even recognize. So I wonder today, how many of you would actually have the boldness that if you're sitting near somebody that's really close to you, maybe it's a family member or a friend, somebody from your life group, I wonder how many of you have the boldness to, to turn to them and just ask, hey, is there any things that you're seeing in my life that maybe I'm not? A pride issue an addiction. Maybe, maybe I'm putting my, my kids or my, my grandkids before my relationship with God. Maybe I'm putting my, my job or my hobby or, or success before my relationship with God. See, this is why Scripture tells us that we're not to be independent, we're to be interdependent. You need other people in your life, people that can come alongside of you and, and, and gently, gently correct you. and Say, look, God has a better plan for you than, than what you're doing right now. And see, the, the beauty of asking for this type of accountability is the walls aren't going to go up. You know, if I just come up to you, if I go up to Nate and say, Nate, man, let me just tell you all the things I see in your life. What's Nate going to do? He's going to put the walls up. That's just natural reaction. But if Nate comes to me and he says, hey, Gilbert, here's an area of my life that God's really working on. Could you hold me accountable in this? See, he's inviting then accountability in. And so you need to be humble enough to, to ask for that type of thing in your life to say to somebody, look, I'm giving you full permission right now just to go ahead gently 
share with me maybe if you see some blind spots in my life. And then you know that that person is going to pray for you and encourage you and, and hold you accountable, give you a kick in the butt if you need a kick in the butt. Just be there for you. Again, we need one another in order for our eyes to be opened. So here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and pull out your uh, My Miracle card that's there on your seat. If you need a, a pen, the ushers will come for Just sort of raise up your hand. They can give you uh, up here. We got some people need some pens. Today, what I want you to, to write down is what is the, the, the miracle that you need? Where, where is it that you are blind in some way? Where is it that you've gotten stuck because you've been looking to the past of the cause from the past and, and you need to now have that attitude of, Jesus, I'm looking for the purpose. Why are you allowing this into my life so that it, you can be glorified. I, I want to know that. Or maybe you already know what your blind spot is. That, that area of disobedience that you keep telling Jesus that, well, one day I'll take care of that, but you just haven't taken care of it yet. You can go ahead and write that down on your card. Or again, maybe some of you right now, you don't know what to write and, and you may just nudge the person next to you if you feel comfortable doing that and just saying, hey, do you see any blind spots in me? Go ahead and take just a couple moments to write those things down. Then once you have it written down, then you're free to go ahead and get up and place it back on the wall. And we'll be praying about those things. But I would encourage each and every one of you to, at some point, we're going to leave that up for a couple weeks, even though the series is ending. But I would encourage you to take some time at some point to you yourself go and read over those cards and pray for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here at Exponential. Just go ahead and just take a couple moments to do this as we go.
last four weeks as we've looked at just a handful of the miracles that your son Jesus performed. Lord, we are desperate for our own miracles as evidenced by dozens and dozens and dozens of cards hanging on that back wall there. Lord, I pray that you would take all the, the different principles that we've learned throughout these past four weeks today as we learn that sometimes we have to take a little bit of initiative ourselves. Just take that next step that you're calling us to take. Help us to be obedient to that. Lord, I, I do pray that you would open up our spiritual eyes to see who it is that you are good that you would have for our lives. Help us not to live lives the, the way we would want to live, but help us to walk fully in obedience to you. Help us to have the, the same testimony as this man and the story today that I once was blind, but now I can see. And it's all because of Jesus did go to the cross and you lived the perfect and sinless life and, and you died on that cross that our sins might be forgiven so that we wouldn't have to rely on our own good works to, to try to make ourselves right with you but we could just in faith say I can't be good enough I'm trusting in Jesus perfection and in Jesus sacrifice there on the cross with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never made that transaction with Jesus, you've never asked him for his forgiveness for your sin, you've never asked him for his leadership in your life, and you're ready to acknowledge that I, I could never be good enough, and Jesus, I'm just giving my full life to you. I need your forgiveness. I need your leadership. Come into my life. Change me. Make me brand new that's true of you. Again, with every hand bowed, every eye closed, if you just quickly just slip your hand up so I can see it, I'll acknowledge it, and then you can put it right back down. Yes, ma'am, down here. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I need, yes, down here. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. earth, living a perfect and sinless life, dying on the cross so that my sins might be forgiven. I acknowledge I haven't been perfect. I've done things that are disobedient to you. So I'm asking you for your forgiveness asking for your spirit to come into my life and show me the correct way to go. From this day forward, I repent of my sin. 
That is, I turn from my sin. And I'm going to walk every single way you would have me to go. Give me faith to do the things that you would have me to do. To say the things you would have me to say. To serve in the ways you would have me to serve. To give the things you would have me to give. It's no longer about me. It's all about you. Thank you that once I was blind, but now I can see. Jesus, thank you for the three people that raised their hands here this morning. Thank you for those that may be listening to this podcast today that have made the same decision. Help them to realize in this moment that the old is gone and the new has come. That yes, they may look the same on the outside, but inside they are brand new. You have forgiven them. You have made them new. So now help them to walk in the way that you see them. Help them not to look to the past anymore. But help them to see that my past was for a purpose. So that the glory of God might be revealed in me. Thank you, Jesus, for changing them and for changing us. We pray this in his precious name. Hey, can we give those who made a decision to follow Jesus here this morning? Huge hand. The Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over even just one sinner who repents. And so we had three people today that prayed that prayer. Amen. God bless. Hey, if you did uh, pray that prayer here this morning, uh, one of the things I'm sort of famous for saying is this, that when you get married, I do doesn't mean I'm done. Right? You don't stand at the altar and say, I do, and then you just go off and you do whatever. I do doesn't mean I'm done. And it's the same way with a relationship with Jesus. Just because you prayed that prayer today, that's just the beginning of your relationship with him. And now he wants you to take some next steps. So here's what I want you to do. There in your program on your connection card, or you can do it uh, on your smartphone, there is a place there that's a a checkbox that says, today I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me my sins, to become the leader of my life. We would love to know about that because I want to send you a package of information I put together. I believe it's like 14 pages or so of what are the next steps that you need to take now that you're a follower of Jesus, Uh, you know where to read the Bible, how to read the Bible, why you should pray, why you should be part of a church, why you would want to serve people in the community. Just giving you just some practical next steps that you can take. So again, if you prayed that prayer today, please let us know so we can get that package out to you.